And welcome, sports fans. It's another episode of Coach Hess's Sports Corner. I am your host, Coach Donnie Hess, here with my Facebook co-host, Mr. Brad Cross. And Brad, how are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing well, Donnie. Sports is really kicking into high gear. We got the European Championships. They are finally here. They're kicking off this week all throughout Europe. We're going to get into that in great detail today. The NCAA softball title is up for grabs, and we got a winner in game one, and we got quite the series there. Hockey is really heating up, Donnie. I mean, it's going crazy out on the ice, and then footy is good and crazy, too. We got a lot of stuff to talk about there, a couple of off-the-field things that we want to talk about, and then another weekend of great games. So we got a lot to talk about today. Cannot wait. Let's jump right into the game plan. We'll go into football. We have a CONCAF and Nations Nations League final to discuss, and you and I have quite a lot of opinions on that. As you stated, the European Championships in Europe are starting on Friday. We will go through it group by group, who we like, who we don't, how's it going to go. We cannot wait for that. And we'll go to the ice where the NHL, we have two teams in the semifinals, two series left to go. Who's going to make it to the semifinals of the Stanley Cup finals? On to NCAA softball. As Brad said, the tournament is now down to two teams. One game has been played in a best of three series. Game two is later tonight. We will talk about that very quickly. And then down to footy, round 12 is done. Going to round 13 and several off the field issues that we have to discuss. I cannot wait to hear some of the opinions on this. Let's do it, sir. On to football. The U.S. and Mexico CONCACAF Nations League final. The U.S. find a way to get it done. Three, two. Man, was this a game of roller coasters or what? I got to say, Donnie, you and I have both watched this game for a long time. We've seen our fair share of U.S.-Mexico games. We've seen our fair share of just crazy football matches all around the globe. This was the most CONCACAF game I have ever seen. I mean, let's just go through a little laundry list of everything that happened. We had a manager get sent off. We had the game halted because of anti-discriminatory chants. We had objects thrown at players on more than one occasion. We had a backup goalkeeper save a penalty. We had a streaker run onto the field. We had a streaker run across the TV set. I mean, good Lord, my mind was just like, I thought it was blown one moment and then it re-blows again. I mean, it was just incredible. And then, and then there was the game itself. I mean, the game was just, it was really strange. I mean, you and I were chatting over text pretty much the whole game. And right off the bat, USA concedes a terrible giveaway by Mark McKenzie and you, and Mexico pounce on to make a 1-0 early. But then Giovanni Reina gets on the score sheet with his first competitive goal as a U.S. men's national team player with his father, Claudio, and his mother, Danielle, in the stands. What a great moment for them. And then the second half, Zach Steffen gets subbed out with an injury. Thankfully, it's not too serious. He won't be playing in the friendly tonight for the U.S., but he should be okay. Gets subbed for Ethan Horvath, who comes in, he gives up a tough goal. It was a really great shot by Diego Lainez. And then Weston McKenney, we, we've talked about him so much. And just, it, it's a shame that sometimes he gets 
washed up in the talk about Christian Pulisic and the others, but he's just such a box-to-box Swiss Army knife type player that can just cover all parts of the field in the same game. Goes to extra time, and Christian Pulisic buries a penalty and goes and celebrates in front of the Mexico fans, and they get beers and Coca-Colas rained down on them. Unfortunately, Giovanni Reina ended up getting hit with one. Thankfully, he was okay. And then more objects were thrown, and they, they ended up the Mexican fans who were throwing the, throwing the stuff on the field ended up hitting their own player. I mean, I, I thought I've seen it all, and then I see stuff like that. But thankfully, in the end, no one got seriously hurt. And thankfully for us as American fans, the USA ended up winning it. It was a long journey to finish this this inaugural CONCACAF Nations League that started way back in 2019, pushed back because of the pandemic, finally finishes. And the USA has the, the edge against Mexico in this competition. They got the got the first one out of the way, got the, got the win, got the trophy. And I, I think that it's almost in spite of the fact that I, I was not a very big fan of the tactical choices made by Greg Berhalter in this match. He switches to a back five with wingbacks on, on both sides with three in the back with McKenzie and Ream slotting into center defense as well. It, it was definitely an odd choice, especially going into that game. I, I saw the lineup sheet come out. I was like, what on earth is this? And so they go with that and they immediately give up the goal. And I mean, Donnie, you can attest this. The first 15 minutes, I was blowing your phone up and, and like smoke was coming out the ears, like, <laughs> like, like the cartoon, just, anger and it was just it was crazy but thankfully it really kicked into gear around that 30 minute mark and and just all the way through the second half and into extra time you could just see the heart the grit and the desire of that U.S. team it it almost reminded me of the teams of old like the old early 2000s teams of of Claudio Reyna, Boca Negra, uh, Yewu, all these guys who were just such warriors for the U.S. over in the in the in the past, it almost kind of reminded me of that. I mean, we definitely didn't necessarily play the most technically pleasing football, but we got it done. And that's one of those things. It's just such a great step forward for this U.S. men's program. And I think that's really something that we're going to be able to build on going forward. So I'd love to hear what you have to say about this, Donnie, because this was just such an incredible, incredible game. Yeah, I will completely confirm for the people that are listening. I think I got one text message that's probably got about eight of the very angry cussing emojis on my on my phone. I'm literally looking at it now because and we were we were both quite animated, shall we say, of the, the lackluster defense that, that the U.S. had. I think they really played way too far back. I think they let Mexico really dominate possession of the football and it really it really kind of stifled them because it let their forward pressure come up our center backs were making mistakes because they were not only trying to play out of the back which I think was a little bit of a mistake but when they were playing out of the back they were turning the ball over far too easily they were letting them get running starts on our on our center backs and the and and Yedlin and, and Dest and, and Reem and McKenzie and John Brooks just I mean the whole night I felt sorry for them because there was just nothing they could do because when they would make a good play, then the midfield, then the midfielders would turn the ball over or they would make the mistake. And then we'd have to worry about, we'd have to worry about Stefan or Horvath having to make a save. So the, the first 20 minutes of the game was just, just, it was helter skelter. So open 
almost a little bit on both sides. The U.S. kind of settled down a little bit. And I think once they got that first goal by Gio Reyna, I think they really kind of structured up a little bit better. And I think it, it played out. There was still far too much leniency given to some of the wide players for, for, these, for the Mexicans. And it really kind of hurt us late in the game. You could definitely tell we, we were struggling to, to cover that outside. And then you, when you move to the second half, Lainez's goal, you, you got to tape your half to him. That was just an incredibly, incredibly excellent goal. There's nothing Horvath could do. He, Such he could a very a, technically difficult shot on the run, cutting exactly. in onto the left. Yeah, exactly. And there's a Horvath almost gives him a courtesy dive to make it look like he had a chance. Unfortunately, he didn't. But then it, the one thing I got to give the U.S. is that they capitalized on their height. The, the, the advantage that they had on set pieces was ridiculous ridiculous how many times they had free headers and a couple of them you were putting your head in your hands when they missed a couple because you were like those are your chances those are the chances you cannot miss and when the second one when the when the when the the second goal went in you were kind of like okay do we have them going for the corner exactly you're almost wanting them to try to get into the corner pound it off the defender and then Try to use your advantage in, in in with your height in the box. McKinney was getting to the balls. John Brooks was getting to the ball. I mean, we we do also have to talk about the we got a little lucky because I think that VAR decision that the offside goal was that was razor thin. If 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 he was offside, it wasn't by much. There were a couple of there were a couple of really questionable refereeing calls in this game. I, I the the offside goal in the first half. I, I think that. Yes, it was razor thin, but I do think that that was the correct call. Um, and then the U.S. and Mexico penalties late on. I mean, VAR is used to identify clear and obvious errors. And I think that at least on the Mexico one, it was very tough to call. And, I mean, I, you, you could hear Moadu while he was calling the game. He was saying, if it's taking him this long to make a decision, they should probably just leave it alone. And, I agree and so with that. That, that, that's, that's one of the difficult things. It's, it's, a, it's a judgment call, but like, like Marisa Du said, and like we just said, it's like, if it's not clear and obvious to the point where you can identify it, like within 45 seconds to one minute of looking at the monitor, then there's no reason to change the call. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, especially if that's what it's there for. If, it, if the purpose is to identify clear and obvious, and it's taking you two or three minutes of looking at the monitor and having coaches breathing down your neck. I mean, that's how Tata Martino was sent off. He went up to the referee while he was looking at the monitor, put his hand on his shoulder and was shown red card. So it's, it's definitely a very tough thing. And I, I feel for the referee. I mean, it's never easy to, to referee a U.S. Mexico game, let alone a competitive match and a, and a competitive final so it's it's definitely a very tough job to have, but that that that's that's just one of those things you just have to be on your very best to be able to keep everything in control. And I mean, the fans didn't necessarily make it any easier when they started doing the chant and started throwing beverages on the field later on in extra time. So it, it's definitely one of those things. But like like I said, that was just it was just such the most Concacaf match I've ever seen in my life. Well, and and, and let's let's just go through it really really quickly. I mean. The penalties. Each team got a penalty. One capitalized. One didn't. But but I, I've heard several people discuss it, and I, I just want to hear your opinion. Polistics penalty in the box. Penalty for you, non-penalty. And then vice versa. 
the penalty that the Mexicans were got for the handball in the box. Was it a penalty? Was it not? Because I've heard several different stories. My person, my personal opinion, I believe the, I believe both of them were a penalty by letter of the law, by looking at it and watching it. Honestly, if I'm being completely honest with myself, I don't think either actually should have been awarded. Yeah. They were both really tough calls, weren't they? Uh, Let's, let's start off with the Pulisic one. Yes, the defender nicked the ball away, but he also did follow through to the point where he got his hips into the way of Pulisic's path to the ball. Mm-hmm. And so it's tough to say that he, made it, that he made a clear enough play on the ball to warrant impeding the path of Pulisic. So like you said, by the letter of the law, yes, I would, I would give that one a penalty. Um, and then... The, the Mexico one is a tough one because, yes, the ball strikes the hand. Yes, it is slightly outstretched from his body. But if you look at it closely, I mean, it's not an obvious, like, reach out of the arm. It's like the, the upper arm is somewhat tucked in and then the hand is out. But it's not in an outrageously unnatural position. So it's tough. I, I would say that it's probably not a penalty. And especially like in the context of the game, when the referee went to VAR, he, he literally took, I think it was like two and a half to three minutes just looking at the monitor. And then once he makes the call, then there is commotion around the ball and around the penalty spot to where, from the time that he signals to go to VAR to when the kick is taken, it, it looked like it was about four and a half to five minutes between those two instances. So it's, it's tough. I, I would say that I would say no penalty on that one, but for the Mexican fans that would want to say for, for any fan really that would, that would want to say that the Pulisic one wasn't a penalty. Well, Mexico still got to convert theirs. And they didn't. Ethan Horvath made a great save, and USA ended up getting the win. So it, it, it's it, that, that's just sometimes how football goes. I mean, you, you end up having one questionable call here, questionable call here. It, it's all about capitalizing on what you're given. USA was able to capitalize. Mexico wasn't, and USA won the trophy. So at the, at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. Yeah, completely agree with you. It was just, it was a tough, hard-fought game. The U.S. capitalized on their opportunity, and unfortunately, Mexico did not. So the U.S. win that title, and I think that will wrap us up for that Concaf uh, Nations League final. Let's go to it. The big tournament. It starts on Friday in two days from recording, and that is the European championships are about to get started. Sir, how excited are you? And can you believe it? A year's wait due to COVID. We finally get this tournament. It is going to be in multiple locations, man. I'm super excited for this tournament because you got some elite club elite nations in this tournament. This is, this is what every football fan waits for every, every other year when it, whenever the world cup isn't there, we can always count on the Euros being there. But now we've got the Euros coming up a year, a year postponed. So Euro in 2021, World Cup next winter in Qatar. It, it's going to be just an inst- incredible festival of football. All, like you said, all throughout the European continent, several venues. 
and a bunch of really tasty matchups. I mean, we're going to go through this. We're not going to go game by game, but we're going to kind of just look through the groups and how we think each group is going to pan out. So we have the top two finishers in each group and then the four best third place finishers. So it's a little bit of a complicated draw, but we'll take you through it and we'll kind of end up painting a picture for you as to what our brackets are going to end up looking like. And then once we get to the round of 16, then we'll predict it all the way through the final on Sunday, July 11th at Wembley Stadium. Let's go ahead and start off with Group A. All of these games are going to be played, and it's going to be Italy, Switzerland, Turkey, and Wales. Those are the four teams in this group. For me, I think that Italy is the runaway favorite here. I think that Switzerland and Turkey are both really good nations. I think that they've got a couple of really good players in both camps. Um, But I think that Italy is the most well-rounded. And then, unfortunately, for Wales, I understand people saying that Gareth Bale is always due for a goal in international competitions. I do agree with that. I think that Gareth Bale is a is a person that loves to represent his country, always shows up for the big-time games in the, in the red jersey. But I think that they're going to be coming up against too big of opposition. Uh, I think that they're not going to be able to, to play as well as a lot of people are saying that they might be able to. So my prediction is Italy goes three for three. They win all three games. They're going to be playing all of their games at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. So they're going to get nine points for me. I think Switzerland and Turkey are both going to win, draw, and lose. I think they're both going to beat Wales. They're both going to lose to Italy, but I think that they're going to draw each other. And by goal difference, I'm going Switzerland second and Turkey third. So I'm going to have Italy, Switzerland, Turkey, Wales in Group A. Uh, Donnie, what say you? Man, this is this is a group that I'm, I'm highly interested in because I really want to know which team shows up. I, I like you. I have Italy. I don't know. I'm, I'm always bullish. For some weird reason, Gareth Bale always plays better in a Wales jersey than he does for Real Madrid. And for some weird reason, I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm feeling this Wales, this Wales team. I don't know what it is. They play so well together. Uh, the only thing I'm really iffy on is, is third place because sometimes Turkey is, is that iffy team. You just don't know. So right now I have it: Italy, Wales, Turkey, Switzerland in that order. But I, I think I may have the Swiss in third, uh, the way it looks just because Turkey sometimes can be kind of that little, skeptical teams sometimes they can show up sometimes they can't and and with these games being in rome turkey's going to be a little bit closer to home so we'll definitely have to see whether whether um they will have fan bases going to be able to show up there so right now as we speak let's i'll say italy wales turkey switzerland um right now in group b all right so those those groups or that the two venues in that group are going to be stadio olimpico and the Baku Olympic Stadium. So Italy will be playing all three of their games in Rome, and then the other matches will be played in Baku. So I think that's one of the reasons, for me at least, why I think that Italy are going to do so well. I think they're going to have a good home field advantage there. Let's go ahead and skip over to Group B now. We've got an interesting one here. we got Belgium, Denmark, Finland, and Russia. And these games are going to be taking place in Copenhagen in Denmark and at St. Petersburg in Russia. So we're going to be able to split between those two stadiums And for this one, I I got a similar basis for this one. I think that Belgium is the runaway favorite here. They are just such a great, well-rounded team. And a lot of these guys, kind of like what we were talking about with Gareth Bale for Wales, they've got a lot of players that aren't necessarily big stars for their clubs, but when they pull on their national team jersey, they're just electric. I'm talking mainly Eden Hazard and Romelu Lukaku, although Lukaku has kind of come into a bit more form with Inter Milan. 
And then, of course, Kevin De Bruyne. The question with him is, how fit is he going to be? Is he going to be able to get right up off the right up off the bat at the start, or is he going to be kind of introduced more later on? So I think that Belgium are the runaway fin- favorites. Finland is just a little bit too undermanned. I think Timu Puki is a good option going forward, and Lukas Radetzky is a good goalkeeper. But I, I just think that there's too much of a gap in the defense and the midfield, kind of where the talent's going to be able to uh, show up. Are they going to be able to possess the ball and all that stuff? So I think that Finland, I think, is going to draw a goose egg here. I think that they're not going to get any points out of this. And then Denmark and Russia, I think that similar to our first group, I think they're both going to get four points. I think they're both going to lose to Belgium and then beat Finland. I think they're going to draw each other. But I'm going to say on goals scored, I'm going to go Denmark second, Russia third. So I've got Belgium, Denmark, Russia, Finland in that order. Uh, these two games. These the venues in this group, of course, again, Denmark and Russia, St. Petersburg and Copenhagen. So, Donnie, what do you think? This will really kind of depend. Like, I completely agree with you. I have Bel- I have the, the, the bookends are easy. Belgium and Finland, Belgium one, Finland four. But I don't I, I really would love to know where the game between Russia and Denmark is, because I think home. It'll I think be in home, Copenhagen. It'll be in Copenhagen. So, OK, so I'm I then. Looking at it really quickly, I, I agree with you. I think the I think the Danes actually I think the Danes um, having that game at home, they may actually be able to pull that one off. So I think actually I think Denmark will actually get second outright with Russia getting I think Russia getting its only win, which I think will put it in third, put them in third uh, against Finland. So I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna follow your lead there. Belgium, Denmark, Russia, Finland in that order in Group B. Yeah, that's going to be a really interesting game. That one in Copenhagen between Denmark and Russia very well could end up determining who gets through in second and if a team ends up getting through in third. And then this one's going to be an interesting one. In Group C, we've got Bucharest and Amsterdam. And we've got kind of a similar theme here. we got a runaway favorite in the Netherlands, and we have a team that's really on, on the bottom looking in is North Macedonia. However, they did beat Germany in a World Cup qualifier, so – you definitely can't look too far past North Macedonia. And then the two teams in the middle that are the question marks are going to be Austria and Ukraine. So their, their tiebreaker game is going to be played in Bucharest. So those two teams will be playing Bucharest. Netherlands will be playing all three of their games at the Johan Cruyff Arena. So for me, I don't think that Netherlands have the best team that they've ever been able to put together, but I do think they still have a quality squad. They're not going to have Virgil van Dijk but they still have Matthijs De Ligt in the back. They've got a lot of good quality players in the midfield and going forward. So I think that the Netherlands are going to get three of three in this group. North Macedonia, I think, are going to be down in the bottom. And then I think that Austria is going to score a couple of goals, and I think that they're going to be able to get the job done against North Macedonia. And then in that game between them and the Ukraine, I've had this similar theme, Donnie, but I think that they're going to end up tying. I don't think that there's a whole lot separating Ukraine and Austria. I think Austria – really are kind of centered around David Alaba and it's really going to be all about how well can he play in in the center of the midfield there and how far forward are they going to allow Alaba to get in that formation and then for Ukraine they've got a couple of really good players they got Zinchenko, Yarmolenko, a lot of really good quality players in Ukraine I, I just don't see a whole lot separating those two teams and the fact that those two nations are going to be playing in foreign countries for all of their games I don't think either of them are going to necessarily have a big advantage over the other but for me, I'm going to have Netherlands, Austria second, Ukraine third, North Macedonia fourth. 
And you, we, I guess we, we, we similar minds here because I, I am exact same way. I have Netherlands, Austria, Ukraine, North Macedonia. I, the Austrians are, are a very clever team. Um, the Ukrainians they have a little bit more firepower, but I think in the long run, I think Austria has really, really tended to play really, really good team football. I, I think they're going to be able to hold it. I think it's, I think it's a draw between those two. I think North Macedonia. Can they cause some fun here? Because I think Ukraine and Austria, the biggest thing when they play the North Macedonia is you got to put up three. You got to try to put up three, four goals. You have to, because goal differential might be the reason that gets you in second place or third place. And you're going to need those points if you want to get in as a third place team. So I am, I am with you on that. Netherlands, Austria, Ukraine, and North Macedonia for group C. And then, oh boy, we, we, this is one that we've been talking about a lot. I, I know that you're very fond of Scotland and Scottish football in general. And then they're going to be going up against the old mother country. England are playing all three of their games at Wembley. Scotland are playing two at Hampden Park. And then the one against England will be at Wembley Stadium. They're joined in the group by World Cup finalists Croatia and Czech Republic, who are a bit of a wild card here. Um, a lot of people are saying that they could be able to cause a little bit of a, of a ruckus here. Um, for me, kind of like what I was saying about the Netherlands, I'm, I'm not overly sold on this England team. I think that they, I, I think that a couple of the injuries are really going to, going to throw up throw a little bit of a wild card in the air, especially the one to Harry Maguire and whether or not he's going to be fit to go up against Croatia and then Trent Alexander Arnold, he's out, but they do have a good quality or quality and quantity of right back replacements for Trent Um, Henderson's not entirely fit as well. So that's going to be a question in the midfield. So it's all going to be a question of how well can Harry Kane play and who are the wingers going to be and how well are they going to be able to provide with and assistance for him? So I think that England are going to be good enough to beat Croatia. I think that Croatia are going to be a little bit, a little bit less, um, powerful going forward than they were in 2018 when they made it to the world cup final they still have a lot of good quality in that team with luka Modric and ivan perisic in the the team so i I like england and croatia to get through easily it's all going to come down to scotland and czech republic that game's gonna be played at hamden park on match day one june 14th and this is going to be a really tough game if scotland can get the win at home or if czech republic can get a win and kind of cause a little bit of the ruckus like i said or if they end up drawing, is that going to put a hitch into both of their plans? I'm just not sold on Scotland, Donnie. I'm sorry. I know that you're fond of them. I'm, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw in that game. And then I don't think that either of these teams are going to be good enough to beat Cro- Croatia or England when they play them. So I think that England aren't going to put up entirely convincing performances, but I think they're going to go 3-3. Three three. Uh, I think that they're going to win all three games. They're, the play, they're playing at Wembley Stadium. So it's going to be a bit of a home field advantage for them. Uh, I think that they're going to win all three. I think Croatia will win two against Cro- against uh, Czech Republic and Scotland, but I think that they will lose to England. And then I think that Scotland and Czech Republic are going to get one point each. I think that they're going to draw each other at Hampden Park, and I don't think that either of them are going to make it out of, out of this group and go into the knockout stage. So I've got England, Croatia, Scotland, Czech Republic. Yeah, yeah. For me, I look at this and I'm going to say something and some people that listen to this may think it's kind of crazy, but I think this is the secondary group of death. And and, and hear me out here. 
this Scott, this Scottish team got in on a, a bunch of momentum, and you, you knock out a tough team. But when you get to play England, your severe rivals, that's going to be a game. I would pay money to see because the Scots always bring their best when they play the English. So don't, I I believe, I agree with you. I think England goes three for three, but that game's going to be physical. That game's going to be tough. And if any, if any team in this group, I think has, has the chutzpah to be able to pull a draw against England, it may be Scotland. Croatia's a really, really good team, but I think in the long run, the height advantage that England has in some of the positions, I think will help England win that game. But when England plays Scotland, it is always a tough game. I am, I am completely with you on this. I think England goes three for three. I think Croatia beats both Scotland and the Czech Republic. I think Scotland gets the Czech Republic 1-0. Scotland has a pretty good defense. Their goalkeeping is pretty well. They do have Andy Robertson from Liverpool, who, who is going to be a little bit of an X factor for the Scottish team. They've got some solid guys at forward and in the midfield. So I think Scotland's got a chance to win that game. But if, if Scotland can somehow win this game against the Czech Republic and find a way to get a draw from England, Scotland has a chance to get to the knockout stages, which I think would be incredible for them. Unfortunately, I agree with you. I think they play to a 1-1 draw. I think they lose both the other two games, and I think England and Croatia are the only two teams out of Group D that get out. But if I'm going to call an upset, like one that I'm not expecting but I could see happening, do not sleep on Scotland potentially getting a draw against England because those two rivals always play heated games. Yes, the game is in Wembley, but it's going to be a doozy if they when they play each other for sure. It's a shame that we couldn't have a full house for that. I think that the Tartan Army in Wembley would just sound incredible, and the atmosphere would just be in an absolutely amazing, amazing atmosphere. So let's move on to Group E now. This is going to be another interesting one. So the two venues are going to be St. Petersburg and Sevilla in Spain. So we're going to have Poland, Slovakia, Spain, and Sweden. So this is a this is a tough one to call. Um, I think that this is really going to come down to can Robert Lewandowski get on the ball and can he score? If he can score, then Poland are going to cause problems. If he can't, then Poland might have trouble getting out of this group. And then similar questions are going to be with Spain. They're, they're in a bit of a transition. No more Pique, no more Ramos. Busquets has contracted COVID, so he's going to be in question to be able to go at all. So this is going to be an interesting one. Um, I, I think that Spain, I think they're going to beat Slovakia and Sweden but I think that Poland are going to find a way to get a point off of them. I actually think that Poland will be able to, to draw against Spain. I think that Poland will beat Slovakia, but I think that Poland and Sweden are actually going to draw. I think the Sweden's another tough one. I think that they're going to be able to cause a little bit of problems if they can get everyone on the same page. There's no, there's no Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but I think that Sweden has a lot of sneaky talent. I mean, they were able to get into the quarterfinals of the last World Cup, and they, they've got a lot of good players in that team. I think that Sweden can beat Slovakia. I think Slovakia is going to get zero points out of this. I don't think they're just they're, they just don't have enough quality in that team. So I think they're going to finish bottom. But I, I think that Sweden will be able to draw against Poland, and I think that Poland's going to draw Spain. So the way that I've got this is Spain on seven points, Poland on five with a win and two draws, Sweden with a win, a draw, and a loss on four points, and Slovakia with zero at bottom. And and I'm a lot like you. I think I 
Poland is Poland and Sweden are two teams that are just you, you just don't know. Like if you get the Swedish team that played really really well in the World Cup the last time, getting points in games that they needed it. Sweden is the scary team in this, both for Poland and Spain, because they can get a draw in both of those. That's how good the Sweden team plays really good defense. They get timely goals when they need them. I think Spain goes three for three, but I think Sweden pushed them. I agree with you. I think Spain, Poland could potentially be a draw. I think Spain's just got a little too much talent and Lewandowski is probably going to, they're probably going to try to find any way they can to keep him from getting supply. And if his midfielders can't get in the foot, can't get in the football, there's no way he can score. And I think Spain's got just enough structure in the midfield and the defense to be able to hold him back. I think Spain gets this done, but it's going to be close. I think it's like a two-one game here. I, I think that'll be an absolutely barn burner game. I I'm completely with you. Spain one, Poland two, Sweden three, Slovakia four. But that Sweden Poland game could be quite interesting, just because again the Swedes are so tough when it comes to scoring. They don't give up cheap goals. I, I cannot wait to see that game. That is another one that I think this one is another group that could be kind of almost a little bit of sneaky group of death par se because you've got some really good mid level teams that can all cause that two of them that can cause a lot of trouble if they get going at the right way. You want to talk group of death, Donnie? Let's talk (laughs) group of death. Let's talk about group F. We've got the world champions, France. We have got group hosts, Germany. We have got defending European champion, Portugal, and we have group host Hungary all in group F and boy, Oh boy, do we have quite a prediction conundrum here? So let me just – I'll just say this right now. I think France are the best team in this competition. I, I really highly rate this French team. They just have so much quality and a lot of depth all around the pitch. I think that their attacking options going forward are elite. They've got Angolo Conte, and when you have Angolo Conte, you have trophies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's just as easy as it gets. I think France go three for three. I think that they beat Germany in Munich. I think that they get it done against Hungary in Hungary. And I think that they get revenge on Portugal in Budapest and they get the win there. I think that Hungary are just up against every challenge imaginable. I, I'm, I'm, I really feel bad for them because they legitimately have three of, in my mind, are the top five teams in world football period in France, Germany, and Portugal. So I think that they're unfortunately going to get zero points out of this. They've got a lot of good quality players, though. Gulachi, Schoboschlei. Um, a lot of these players for Hungary are really good. So, so let's not look too far past them. They're playing all of their games. Um, they're, they're playing all of their games bar the Germany game in Budapest. So they will have a home crowd advantage there in those two games. And then they'll be playing against Germany in Munich. But I think that it's going to come down to Germany and Portugal. I think that Germany and Portugal both lose to France. They both beat Hungary. And I've had this conundrum before in a couple of these other groups. I think that those two countries draw each other. I think that it's going to be a tough one in Munich. Uh, the Ronaldo effect is real, Donnie. I mean, when Ronaldo pulls on that Portugal jersey, he just he, he's a force of nature. He's a force of nature at club level, and he's a force of nature on the international level. So I think that he's going to be able to find a goal for, for Portugal. I think that that game is going to be a 2-2 draw because I really like the, the midfield reliability and stability of Germany in Goretzka and Kimmich. Um, it's it's just a little bit of a of a worry seeing them play three at the back and how the wing backs 
invert into the system and how they play up and down the the wings, both defensively and offensively. So it's going to be a, an interesting one to watch for. And then the, you have the return of Tomas Muller into the Dimanchaft. So it's going to be very interesting to see whether or not they're able to supply Tomas Muller up at center forward and how they're going to imply the Champions League winners in Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. So how how will they be used in the team? How will they get the how will they get used and then the Bayern Munich wingers and Gnabry and Zane. So it'll be really interesting to see how they go. But that Portugal team is stacked too. I mean, you got Bruno Fernandes, Diogo Jota, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo, Ruben Diaz, the, the player of the year in England. So that that's just such a tough one to call. But for me, on goal difference, I've got Germany ahead of Portugal. They're both going to be on four points. I think Germany's going to get a couple more goals off of Hungary just because of the fact that they're going to be playing that game in Munich and Hungary and Portugal will be playing in Budapest. I think that Portugal does win that game. I don't think it's going to be as cl- as as big of a spread as the Germany port as as much of a spread as the Germany Hungary game. So I think they're going to get a couple of goals to put toward the goal differential. I'm going to have France on nine points, Germany and Portugal both on four points, with Germany ahead on goal differential, Hungary on zero. And I'm I'm completely with you there. Um... France, Germany, Portugal, Hungary. I'm this German team. Just I'm not sure about. My only thing though is I, I'm almost a little hesitant because their performance in Russia at the 2018 World Cup was pitiful. I mean, there, there's no other way to say it. It was pitiful. The fact that they lost to North Macedonia earlier in the year doesn't help them much any either. So my confidence in Germany right now is relatively low. Are, are they going to play for Joachim Löw? I mean, last tournament as the German national coach, do they play for him? Or do they kind of put this on autopilot, play through it? If they win it, they win it. If they don't, they don't. Because they know they have Hansi Flick stepping into the job the day after the tournament is over. So I this German team, talent-wise, if you look at their, if you look at their roster, is one of the most talented next to Russia and next to France and England. I mean, bar none, you put those lists together. You've got the who's who of European football, but this really is a German team that I don't know what, I don't know what German team am I getting? Am I getting the German team that was dominant in European play years before? Are we getting the recent day German team that have slip ups all the time? So I'm, I'm going to go with you on this. I'm going to test my luck and put Germany's two, Portugal three. But man, do they not, I'm not filled with a ton of confidence on this second place for Germany right now. What I will say about Germany is I think that they're one or two tournaments away from being world beaters again. I think that, like you said, the the performance in 2018 was shambolic. I, I think that the system has changed where Tony Kroos isn't playing as much as he was in, in the national team. And it's becoming more of a Kimmich and Goretzka midfield. And then the question of how will they line up when Hansi Flick takes over too. So I think that they're a little bit of a ways away. I think that Euro 2024, they're going to be hosting that one in Germany. I think that they're going to be very high favorites to win that one, them in France. Um, I think that as this tournament goes on, I think they will get stronger and they'll have a better idea of how to play in this system. So I, I think that they're going to be able to get through the group. I think, like I said, on goal differential, they get second place. 
Um, I think that they're, I think that they're just a little bit of ways away from being true world dominant team again. So, all right, let's go ahead and this is the weird, weird tiebreaker, the third place qualifiers. Um, A lot of this came down to goal difference, Donnie, for me. And it actually with the last couple ones came down to goals scored. So for me, I've got Portugal, Russia, Turkey, and Ukraine going through as third place finishers. And I've got the, I, I literally Ukraine with three goals scored for me. I went ahead and went through all of the, all of the games themselves. And I picked that I've got Ukraine with three goals scored Sweden with two goals scored. And that for me is going to be the tiebreaker. So I've got Portugal, Russia, Ukraine, and Turkey getting through in the, into the round of 16. All right. My four, I've got Portugal and Russia with you as well, but I have Sweden and Switzerland since I had Switzerland in third instead of Turkey. I have the Swiss there because I have Wales in second. Um, yeah, I just I don't think the Ukraine and Scotland and their groups are going to get enough points to be able to get through it. I think Switzerland's got a much better chance of getting extra points in that group with Wales and Italy. And it's the same thing with Sweden. Sweden's in a group where you, they can get points off Poland. I, I think they definitely have a shot. So I have Portugal, Sweden, Russia, and Switzerland. A little bit different than pre-Mike here. It, it kind of will go through it. And originally, I had Scotland in, but I think looking at it, going through a couple of things, like I said, so that'll be my four moving on. Let's go to our tournaments. Let's see who do let's, let's go through it right here. Your first matchup in your round of 16 is Brad. So the matchup in Sevilla is going to be Belgium versus Turkey. Uh, I think that Belgium are just too strong. I think they get through this one fairly easily Belgium to the quarterfinals. All right. I have Belgium versus Sweden and I have Belgium moving on as well. My next matchup would be Italy versus Austria. I have Italy moving on in that one. As do I. Italy, Austria played at Wembley on the 26th of June. I've got Italy through on that one as well, setting up uh, same quarterfinals for us between Belgium and Italy. Let's go down to France versus Ukraine for me. This one is going to be played in Bucharest and France or France, the team to beat for me. I'm going to go France in this one going into the next round. I have France v. Switzerland, also France moving on. France just a little too strong for the Swiss. And next one down for me, I have Croatia v. Poland. I have Croatia moving on, but I think that could be an absolutely cracking match if that one turns out because you've got Luka Modric and Lewandowski in a game with a couple of smaller nations, but really good footballing nations. I think this is a cracking game, but I think Croatia just edges Poland. I've got the same matchup between Croatia and Poland, this this being played in Copenhagen. For me, this game goes to penalties, and I've got Croatia as well taking this one. I I hate to see Lewandowski go out in in a heartbreaking fashion because, I mean, you all know how big of a fan of Lewandowski I am, but I do think that Croatia is just going to be a bit too strong in the end. I think it goes to penalties, and Croatia wins that one. Next one's going to be an interesting one. This will be playing at at Hamden Park between Spain and Russia for me, and I've got Spain moving through in this one. I have the same matchup and the same winner, Spain beating Russia. Next game is the absolute almighty of the quarterfinal rounds. Man, will we get an absolute doozy if we get this England versus Germany. In the knockout stages, I think England's team is just a little too strong in this situation. Again, Germany, I... I, helter-skelter performance is way too much i think england gets it done and moves on to play spain in the round of uh, in the quarterfinals 
Donnie, Euro 96, semifinal at the old <laughs> Wembley. Germany beat England on penalties. And I'm doing the exact same thing here. I think that England gets heartbroken at Wembley by Germany on penalties. I think Germany, like I said, I think they grow into this tournament. I think they get better as the tournament goes on, get a better idea of how to play in the 3-4-3 of Joachim Löw. I think they get behind it. I think they just find a way to beat England at Wembley. I think they get it done. I don't think football's coming home. All right, let's move to the next matchup. I have Netherlands v. Portugal, and I have Portugal finding a way to nip the Netherlands. I think the Netherlands not having uh, Virgil van Dijk, this is going to be the game where it is really going to rear its ugly head in the worst possible way. And I have Ronaldo and Portugal moving on to the quarterfinals. Yep, this one being played at Puskas Arena in Budapest. I've got the same matchup, Netherlands-Portugal. I've got the same winner. I've got Portugal moving on to the quarterfinals. And then to round out the round of 16, we have a matchup at the Johan Cruyff Arena in Amsterdam. For me, it's Switzerland and Denmark in this game. And I've got Denmark going through in this game. I think it's going to be a tough one with Switzerland being a tough opponent. But I think that Christian Eriksen gets a goal in this game. I think it's going to be a 1-0 to Denmark. Okay, I have Denmark as well, but I have Wales playing them in this game. But I think the Danes just are a little bit too strong in that situation. I think Gareth Bale magic usually can can get him through some of the earlier games. But when you start playing some of the elite teams in Europe, I just don't know if a one-man team is going to be able to advance. So I have the Danes moving on to the quarterfinals. All right, so for our quarterfinals, the first one up on the top of the bracket play, being played at the Allianz Arena, Belgium versus Italy. Uh, I think that Italy's luck is going to run out. I think that Belgium's golden generation is in it for another run. I like Belgium in this one going on to play at Wembley in the final four. I am the same way. Belgium's talent is just a little too much. I think Italy is slowly building back up that elite European talent in for the Italians. I think in a couple of years, maybe the next world cup, the Italians will have a team to maybe compete, but the Belgian golden generation is still pretty strong. I have Belgium moving on to the semifinals. Oh, how deja vu comes in very much in this next matchup. We've got a matchup in St. Petersburg, Russia, the site of last year, uh, the last world cup. Uh, We got the world cup final rematch in France v Croatia. I think for both of us, right, Donnie. Mm hmm. So we've got both of us with France and Croatia playing another European matchup in Russia. And for me, I think France is too good for Croatia a second time. I don't think that Croatia gets the revenge factor in this one. I think France goes on to Wembley. I'm with you. I think history repeats itself as much as I'd love to see Croatia move on just to see how people would freak out if this, this heavily solid French team would not make it to the semifinals. But I have France moving on to play Belgium in the semis. Moving down, another interesting matchup here. I have England v. Spain, and I have the English finding a way to get on to the semifinals. Again, I think this English team just has so many superstars. They have so much skill and talent. I think this English team could go far. I have them moving on to the semifinals. So I've got Spain versus Germany, as I thought that Germany would end up beating England. And I'm not entirely convinced with Spain. Uh, I said that they would draw a match in the group stage, and I don't think that this is a favorable matchup for them. I I like the German attack options going forward. I like the solidity in the midfield. I think that Germany, while they're not the best, I think that they're better than Spain on the day being played at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. I say Germany to Wembley. 
And then to our final quarterfinal, we've got an interesting one here in Baku. Got a Portugal versus Denmark showdown for me. And I've got Portugal going on in this one. I think they're just going to be too strong. We both have the same matchup there. and We both have the same winner. Ronaldo effect will definitely be enough to knock out the Danes. I have Portugal moving on to the semis. All right. And then we're bringing it home to Wembley. Although England for me won't be there, won't be there to play. I think it's going to be a Belgium versus France semifinal in the first one. And I'm going to go with France in this one. I just, I really like France. I think that they're the best team in this competition and I think that it's just going to be a little bit too much for Belgium to overcome. And for the second European championship in a row, I've got France in the final. I am with you on that one. I think the Belgian generation, the Belgian golden generation is good, but this French team is so deep, so talented, so skilled, tough defensively. And they're just so going to be so difficult to beat. I have the French moving on to the final. And in the bottom part of the bracket, I have England v. Portugal, and I have the English finding a way to get into a final for once. And they will actually be able to play the final. If I remember correctly, it is going to be a Wimbledon, correct? It is. So that will set up a France versus England final in Wembley Stadium. Man, can you not play that any better? Yeah, I think that it's going to be quite the fairy tale if England's able to get to the finals at Wembley Stadium. The semifinals and the final of this tournament will both be played at Wembley. Um, For me, I've got Germany versus Portugal in my semifinal here. And I think that Germany, like I said, they're growing into the tournament, but I think that the Portuguese team is just too strong. And Donnie, I've got a repeat final from Euro 2016. Mm -hmm. And I have got a final between France and Portugal for the second consecutive European championship. So we're arrived at Sunday, the 11th of July, Donnie. I have France versus Portugal. You have France versus England. Donnie, is football coming home? Unfortunately, this French team is just so good. Even in Wembley Stadium, as much as I would love to see the English find a way to pull it off, when you have Conte, when you have Conte, trophies come. I have the French winning this. I think Mbappe drops two on them. I think the French win two nothing in Wembley, and the French get themselves a European title. We we talked about in in 1998 and 2000, France were able to win the World Cup on home soil in 98, and then back that up with a European Championship in 2000. Donnie, I think they're going to do the same thing this time around with a with a simultaneous hold of the World Cup and the European Championship in the rematch for me of the previous European Championship final. I think France come in angry, looking to get revenge on that fateful day at the Stade de France. I think France three goals to one over Portugal. France win the Euros and become world beaters, simultaneous holders of the European Championship and the World Cup. So that does it, Donnie. We, we have predicted our European Championship bracket. We both have France going and winning the whole thing at Wembley and, and lifting the trophy at the end. Uh, we're going to have a, a little bit of a fun little thing to do. So Donnie's going to put out this invitation on his Twitter, so be, able, so be sure to follow him on Twitter to find this. But there is a fantasy football tournament on the UEFA Euro 2020 app. Uh, it's a fantasy football group. You pick your team of 15 players within a certain budget and you look to see who will get the most points. You can make as many transfers as you want in and out of your team as the, as the tournament goes along. So you can pick favorable matchups or favorable players to get them all into your team. And it's a certain, it's a very fun little 
little thing to do. Always like to do it whenever the Euros or the World Cup come around. So Donnie's going to put this up on his Twitter. You'll have a link and a code to put in, and you can join me and Donnie in this group, and we're going to have a whole bunch of, of uh, players to choose from, and it's going to be really, really fun. So be sure to follow Donnie on Twitter. Be able to go find that link and the code. You register on the app or on the website and join in on the fun. Yeah, I cannot wait to do that. I will get that up as soon as this episode is out. I'm excited for it just to kind of see how these teams are set up. In fact, I think we can probably even chat about it next week on who, how our teams are doing. I cannot wait. I have to go through it. I've really quickly tried to do that, and it's, it's so confusing trying to keep track of the money. It's, and it's a tough I, choice. There, there's a lot of tough choices in whether or not you want to go with a bunch of elite forwards or elite midfielders or defenders or whatever, but it, it's something that you really have to take into, into deep consideration. I took, about, I took about an hour trying to think of how I wanted to set my team up and then kind of just as the tournament goes along with the different matchups and whether or not you think a certain player is going to have a better day against this team or whatever and just kind of fit it into your budget. So that's one of the things that really makes it fun. The first game of the European Championship will be on Friday at 2 central time here in the States. We played at the Saudi Olimpico in Rome between Italy and Turkey to kick off Group A, and then followed up on Saturday with Wales v. Switzerland, Denmark v. Finland, and Belgium v. Russia. So we have a lot of stuff to look forward to. And then on the next podcast, we're going to have a lot of stuff to review We'll have a match day under our belt and we'll by that point have a lot more stuff to talk about. Yeah. I cannot wait for that. This, this tournament is going to be absolutely spectacular. I cannot wait, but I think that is going to do it for our football section. Let's hop over to it, sir. NHL playoffs are getting hot, thick and fast. We have two teams into the semifinals as, Oh my gosh, we, there's no way we could have predicted that the Montreal Canadiens take four out of four from the Winnipeg jets. I mean, how shocking was this four-game sweep by the Canadiens? The fact that the Habs were able to win the series didn't necessarily surprise me that much, but the fact that it was a sweep was a complete shock. I mean, we were talking about the rest factor potentially coming into play here, and oh boy, did that compounded with the suspension of Shifleaf in game one just completely shut down all forms of attack for the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, they scored a combined three goals in the final three games after Shifley was suspended in game, at the end of game one for the hit on Evans. But, yeah, the Canadians are just getting hot at the right time. They're playing fantastic hockey. And Carey Price, I mean, what more can you say about, about Montreal's number 31? I mean, he is just absolutely fantastic. He, he's been the cornerstone of that franchise for, the, for around the last 10 years, really. And he's finally getting his time to show why they've put all this faith into him. And he has just been everything that the Canadians could have ever hoped for him to be. And now they have themselves into the final four. They're getting fans back into the bell center and slowly starting to fill that place up. And what the roar from the small number of fans that were in the bell center when Montreal ended up winning game number four to win the series. I mean, you could hear it even as the players left the ice that no one was leaving. No one left, and they were just celebrating. And then the scenes outside the Bell Center, too, were just in, insane. And you can tell that everyone in Montreal is just loving the fact that their Habs are now into the Final Four with a chance to potentially play a Stanley Cup 
in Montreal for the first time since 93. It would just be incredible for the people of Montreal. And then let's take a look at the other series too. I mean, we, we talked about these top two teams in the Central Division, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Carolina Hurricanes. And the, the experience factor comes into play here, Donnie. We, we mm-hmm. see the, the defending champions go and take three games in Carolina, win all three of those, and win one in Tampa. They win in five. Donnie, I mean, for me, I think that this Tampa team is the favorite just because they're playing so well right now, and Andre Vasilevsky is just standing on his head time after time. Yeah, I mean, there's honestly looking at it, of all the teams left, Tampa is probably the most dangerous when it comes to the two teams out West with the Avalanche and the Golden Knights. Like I think Tampa comes into this final four being one of the favorites, depending on who comes out of the West, just because, I mean, you've got championship pedigree, as you said, Vasilevsky is playing well, but just, just to go back really quickly, Carey Price is one of the things that I think this Montreal Canadiens teams is getting confidence because when you get a hot goaltender in the playoffs, you can go far because as long as you can keep goals out of your net, you can earn, you can get garbage goals. You can get one goal and win a game one, nothing. You can move on in this series. So Carey Price getting hot at just the right time is exactly what you need for the Canadians. And I cannot wait to see who their matchup is in the semifinals because they are going to give them headaches my only worry is again sweep rust plus the fact now you have inter interstate inter-country travel which thankfully the u.s government the nhl and the canadian government have all confirmed this will be okay for them to travel cross-border which is absolutely amazing that they were able to pull that off but we will see. I'm hoping this does not cool off Carey Price going into this semifinal series. But, I mean, Tampa just literally, they showed why they are one of the best teams. You take on a, a Hurricanes team that was so good at home. And you take three of you take the three games, all three games in Carolina. That is impressive. Congratulations to the Lightning. There are two series still left going. Both are at 3-2 as we speak. One plays tonight with a chance to end it as the New York Islanders go home to Staten Island to have a chance to knock out the Bruins. I mean, do we see a repeat of round one like Pittsburgh that they go home to that amazing atmosphere on the island, and do they knock out Boston, or do we see game seven back in Beantown? This is such a tough one to call because you can never bet against Boston come playoff time. I mean, they're one of the teams that over the last decade, they've been consistent threats to be able to play well in the playoffs. But this Islanders team is just – they've got that special something. It's one of those things where you can't necessarily identify one thing that is completely driving them. I mean, their entire team is just playing very well. They're getting great support from the Nassau faithful. And the Islanders have just turned it on when it matters most. And, Donnie, I think that the New York Islanders win this game tonight and set up a match between them and the Tampa Bay Lightning and how – good of a matchup is that going to be in the Stanley Cup semifinal to see a potential Islanders versus Lightning showdown in that series I think that the Islanders actually do get it done tonight what about you what do you think I'm I'm with you the way Nassau Coliseum has just absolutely been electric in all of those games as we saw in the Pittsburgh series that game six I mean you could not keep them quiet no matter what even when Pittsburgh scored they were still loud um, I'm gonna say it right now the first the first goal 
if the Islanders can put the first goal into this, this could get to be a long night for the Boston for the Boston faithful because this Islanders team, they just play good, solid hockey. They don't ever let up. They are so much fun to watch. I really it's really weird. I really do hope that they find a way to win this game because it's going to make a quite an interesting trio already in, in the Islanders, the fourth seed, the lightning, the three seed and the Montreal Canadians, the four seed, meaning the highest seed may be a one. You might only get one, one seed in the entire tournament and they're on the ropes. We'll jump from that series. Las Vegas goes into Denver last night, gets the win. They go back home to Vegas for game six. Do the Knights find a way to knock out the heavy favorite avalanche or do the avalanche get it back to Denver in the Pepsi center for game seven? I think that the avalanche squeak it out. I think that the avalanche find a way. I think that that game goes to overtime. I I think that similar to last night, I think that Colorado is going to break Vegas hearts in game six and get it back to a game seven. But this is a tough one to call because the Colorado Avalanche have given up. Well, let me, let me just pull this up here. Yeah. Both games three and five, the golden Knights overcame a third period deficit to win. And they're the first team to have two third period comeback wins against the president's trophy winners in the playoffs since Philadelphia did it against Wayne Gretzky's Edmonton Oilers in the 87 Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's one of those things where if you can find a way to just constantly just keep cracking away and just chipping away and keep pulling back and back and back, they've managed to pull off three in a row here. So if they do win, if Vegas does win game six, it wouldn't be a shock to me. But I think that – I think Stanley Cup magic is going to come back. I think we're going to get a game seven there. And honestly – I, I don't want to say that I'm polling necessarily for one of these teams, but I would love to see Colorado get the win because if they get the win and win the series, we're going to see a former battle of Quebec between the former Quebec Nordiques, who are the Colorado Avalanche now, against the Montreal Canadiens, and seeing the battle between the 24-time Stanley Cup winner, the, the, the owners of the province of Quebec and the Montreal Canadiens, and then the team that left the team that left Quebec and left Quebec city and, and the Colorado avalanche who has since gone on to win two Stanley cups in Denver. So honestly, as a hockey fan, I would love to see that storyline, but at the same time, it'd be quite a funny storyline to see the final four teams of the Tampa Bay lightning, the New York Islanders, the Vegas golden Knights and the Montreal Canadians. I mean, that'd be quite the, the, quite the crazy final four to, to get to see. So I think either way, we're going to be in for a treat. Um, I'm with you. I, I think this gets to seven. I, I just, I think Colorado gets a kick in the pants by their coach because again, a, a capitulation in the fourth, in the in the th- in the third period against Vegas, giving up three goals, two goals to give it up to go to overtime, and then Stone with an absolute ripper over Grubauer's glove. I, I saw this funny quote on one of them is is the, the using the Mighty Ducks tweet co- quote from Game Two. Uh, from the shootout is he goes is do you think he'll go stick side no he's fancy he'll go glove and that's what stone did stone goes glove on grubauer so it was absolutely hilarious to read that i i think colorado gets i think they get game six i think they get it back to game seven but i don't know this is really weird like i think vegas has kind of rattled colorado they've won the last three games of the series so it won't shock me if, if vegas pulls this off 
and gets to the semifinals of the Stanley Cup by winning game six. They're at home. Vegas plays really well at home. That's a tough matchup. And I think Colorado's um, their their confidence is, is shaken a little bit after winning those first two games in Pepsi Center. They've lost the last three. So I, I'm, I, I think Colorado gets it to game seven, but it, I'm their confidence has to be shaken that they've lost three in a row, including two where they've had third period leads. So it'll be quite interesting. And just looking at, at your, at what you just said, it's like you look at the Islanders, the Tampa Bay lightning and the Las Vegas golden Knights and the Montreal Canadiens, considering you put the other three teams together, they don't even have a third of what the Con- Montreal Canadiens, but the Canadiens, are going to be the underdogs in the entire four teams of the. I think that, I think that they like being the underdogs, though. I think I think that the underdogs usually have a feeling of being able to play with house money, and mm-hmm. when you have a twenty-four time Stanley Cup winning franchise with as historic of a history as the Montreal Canadiens, going in with house money and with a hot goaltender in Carey Price, I think exactly. I think that the I think that the Canadians are going to be rooting for the Golden Knights to get a win so that they don't have to rest as much because they saw what happened to Winnipeg on all that rest. Mm-hmm. So I think that if Vegas wins, I think that Montreal is going to be just really tough to play against. I, I think that, honestly, I'm, I'm just going to say this right now. I'm going to put the Montreal Canadiens in the Stanley Cup final, regardless of who wins the Western Series. I'm going to go with the upset right off the bat. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go there right now. I'm, I'm all for it. Go Habs, go. I, I don't I don't think you're jumping off too high a limb on that one, if, if you really think about it. Um, I it's it's hard to not see how how that could potentially come out so i think that will wrap it up for our nhl let's move it let's go to we'll go down to oklahoma for the women's college world series and oh my lordy lord has this been the most interesting tournament i have ever seen so in our preview, we said that uh, we, I, we saw the Oklahoma Sooners getting to the finals and the Alabama Crimson Tide, and boy, did we get some interesting results right off the bat. Let's go right to it. First game of the day, everybody's thinking little JMU versus mighty Oklahoma. Odyssey Alexander in the circle had such an amazing super regionals and a great season. And she pitches an absolute gem, stifling Oklahoma to only three runs. And JMU, first game of the day, beats mighty Oklahoma. The number one I, I overall do- seed lost in game one. I, I was at work when this game was happening, and I had to do a double take when I saw the final score. I was just like, wait, what? Did mm-hmm. they get a typo on that? And then I looked, and I was just like, holy crap. And JMU, like you said, just – going out and kind of pulling off the shocker of this of the series and they were able to get the job done in that first game but it, luckily for Oklahoma that's it's a double elimination tournament and then OU was able to go on a bit of a run yep so so Oklahoma so the first day's results ended on JMU knocking out Oklahoma and then it pretty much stayed to the seeding line Oklahoma State beating Georgia 3-2 in a really good back and forth game of softball Alabama beating Arizona 5-1 and UCLA beating Florida State 4 to nothing in the first day's set of games. We move on to the, we went to the winners bracket where Oklahoma State matches up against JMU and boy did the JMU magic continue as Oklahoma was now dominated as JMU beats Oklahoma State 
two to one, moving them on to the semifinals in two games. And Odyssey Alexander, again, with another gem of a play, tagging out a runner at home to keep their one run lead to help JMU knock out the Cowgirls and to move on to the semifinals of the College World Series. And in the nightcap, Montana Fouts throws a perfect game. 21 out perfect game on her 21st birthday happy birthday young lady alabama beats ucla six to nothing moving alabama on to the semifinals we go to elimination day teams start falling oklahoma v georgia oklahoma gets back off the schneid winning eight to nothing florida state in the next game beats arizona four to three and oklahoma plays ucla in the rebound game as the ucla goes to the losers bracket and oklahoma puts a pounding as 10 to three winners by the sooners moves them on we move to the next day as florida state pulls off a shocker as they knock off the cowgirls four to two sending oklahoma state home a little earlier than some people expected. We move on to the semifinals that see Florida State and Alabama and Oklahoma and JMU and Oklahoma gets their revenge, beating JMU 6-3, to forcing an unnecessary game. Unfortunately, the nightcapper game that night was rained out as Florida State would then have to wait to play their first game. The next day, Oklahoma again repeats their winning ways as they knock off JMU and Florida State pulls off a win as well, setting up a national championship series of Florida State and Oklahoma. A tiny bit of surprise. One team we expected to be there, the other rather shocking. And yesterday, we saw the first game of the championship series and Florida State pulls off the upset, beating Oklahoma 8-4. to four. I mean, this Florida State team, they play small ball. They get runners on, they steal, they, they are very, very aggressive on the base pass. So we come into tonight. Florida State is one win away from the title game. Oklahoma has to win later tonight to get onto it. I know you're an OU faithful. This game will be on probably just after we are done recording here today. Are you going to watch this game? And do you think Boomer Sooner gets it to Thursday where they will play at three o'clock for the championship of the college world series? I'll definitely be dual screening that in the hockey game tonight, but (laughs) I I, I do think that I I do think that Oklahoma has the firepower. I, I think that, Playing with a home crowd advantage in Oklahoma City, I think that they're going to get themselves into a game three. And then I think that all all predictions are out the window, and it's just fly by the seat of your pants in game three. When it, when it all comes down to one game for the title, I mean, we've seen, we, we've seen so many game sevens as sports fans and so many elimination games of this sort. So I think that if it gets to game three, I think Oklahoma can do it. But then again, we've seen James Madison go on the run that they did. We've seen Florida State play well in game one. So I think it's really a coin flip here. I think that Oklahoma will be able to get it into a game three by winning by winning tonight. Um, I, I think that they're going to get it done there. And then for me, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not hopping off the bandwagon. OU's number one for a reason. I'm going with them to win the whole thing. So I think that they were able to get off of a loss in the first game and go back up to the championship series. I think that they hop off of the the loss in game one. I think they rip off two in a row. I think the biggest thing is, is that 
Um, Oklahoma did not pitch their ace in this game. They pitched their third string starter, um, which I don't think is too bad an idea because you give your first starter and your second starter rest. I think they pitched their ace tonight. I think they get the, I think they get it done. They had so many errors. They, they, they had way too many errors in this first game that I think cost them a few runs. I think the score would have been much closer if some of these errors didn't happen. I think their head coach, just kicks him in the pants tonight. I think they come out absolutely nostrils flaring. I, I'm worried Florida State gets blown out in this game too. And if they do, I think Oklahoma rounds it up quite easily, wins game two and game three. And I think this destiny team that Oklahoma is hoists the national championship trophy. But it, it would be quite an interesting sight if Florida State finds a way to knock off this team of destiny that Oklahoma, that this Oklahoma team had been coronated halfway through the year. So for them to find a way would be quite a feat of of spectacular uh situations there so let's jump for it that will be it for the softball let's jump down to it we'll jump down to the 40 man round 12 just served us up some interesting interesting results let's jump into it we only have six games to go through but we have a couple of off-field issues we have to talk about very quickly first game marquee matchup Man, we can't tip worth the life of us, sir, as the Melbourne Demons knock off the Brisbane Lions 97-75, 22-point lead. I mean, this D's team just, oh, man, they are legit. Yeah, I mean, every time that we think that Melbourne's going to get beaten a top-level clash, we, we, I think we both tipped the Bulldogs to beat them, and then we both got, got served up an L on that one, and we both picked Brisbane in this one, and we got another L, and Melbourne's just handed them out at this point. I mean, they're they're so good, aren't they? I mean, they're just so well-balanced all throughout the field from defense to midfield, midfield to forward. They are just the full package this year. And, I mean, every time that we try to say, oh, these other teams have established superstars, they're premiership favorites, and then Melbourne goes out and completely blows them away. They, they took care of the dogs and they took care of the lions. And I think that's pretty easy to say right now. I think that this Melbourne team is 100% the premiership favorite at this point because of the fact that they've been able to rip off quality wins against quality opposition consecutively. Absolutely agree with you there. And and to be able to make adjustments quickly, because Brisbane jumped them really early, had a nice little lead. And after the halftime break, I think I think Coach Goodwin just made some really, really good adjustments and Brisbane just could not fire back from it so congratulations to the d's continuing to show why you are the legit team that you are let's go to it the game that i know both you and i had our eyes all over as the swans quite frankly survive a game against the saint kilda saints winning 92 83 a nine point win in a game that quite frankly saint kilda at least twice if not three times had a chance to win this game and just could not execute kicking on goal yeah, this is one of those ones where your your reaction after the game is, thank God, on to the next one. Um, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a good one for the Swans to be able to get a win. It's not one that you want to hang your hat on, but it's, it's a necessary win. It's one that you just have to take and just move on with it, like I said. And then for St. Kilda, I mean, it's a really, comparatively speaking to the games that they've been playing, it was a quality performance. And then it's unfortunate for Jack Higgins who had multiple chances at goal late on in the game and couldn't convert, like you said. Um, I think that St. Kilda's on the right track getting back to what they hope to be a better run of form. But for the Swans, it's another necessary four points. And they've got another one coming up this weekend that they need to grab four points from. Yep, completely agree with you with that. Now to 
what I would have to say kind of the shocker of the entire weekend is the Adelaide Crows fall at home to the Collingwood Magpies by 578-73. And as I kind of heard several pundits say, I think Collingwood kind of went for it. They decided let's not play defensive footy. Let's 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 get after them. Let's go for it. And I think it kind of shocked this Crows team. And having Jamie Elliott kick half your goals of six goals on return from a broken leg, I mean, man, well done, Collingwood, of finding a way to pull out a win in some interesting circumstances with some of the health restrictions, shall we say, going over to South, uh, South Australia. Yeah, this was, this was a, like you said, this was a shock for me. It was a shock for you. I think it was a shock for a lot of people in the footy world. Uh, I don't think a lot of people had any faith in Collingwood going to Adelaide and being able to pull off a win, but they get the job done. And then we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but they're going to have a lot of, a lot of craziness going into their next round matchup, a Queens birthday matchup against Melbourne. Yeah, definitely. For sure. We'll move on to, I, I know the final score wasn't exactly the closest one in the world, but for me, this was game of the round. Essendon v. Richmond. Richmond wins it by 39, 123-84. But oh my gosh, was this an absolutely fantastic game until about 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter when Richmond flipped the switch. Yeah, when Richmond flips the switch, I mean, you're done for. And unfortunately for Essendon, they played a fair – they played – a better game than a lot of people would have thought. I, I know that you actually tipped Essendon in this game, um, but yeah, around that 10 minute mark in the fourth quarter, it just completely went into Richmond's hands. And it seemed like Essendon really just pretty much just ran out of gas. I mean, it looks like they just hit the wall. Um, it, it was a great night at Optus stadium, dream time at Optus. Um, it was a great matchup to be able to show out in Australia. And it was a great show to watch. But that just goes to show, like we've said over the course of the season, when Richmond is on, there, there's no one stopping them. Um, so it's a great win for them. It's a necessary four points that they needed to get back up into, into premiership contention. Yeah, completely agree with that one. And I have to say the dream time, the dream time um, pregame rituals and in, in spectacular was absolutely fantastic western australia did it very proud with the sellout so really happy with that and to the game of the round to the next two games unfortunately were kind of duds and to end the week is carlton find a way to fall on the road at the scg fall to the perth eagles or the regular eagles as they find a way to win by 22 west coast eagles win 95 73 I mean, this Carlton team, man, you just cannot count on them at all. You can't even count on Carlton when they're playing against West Coast outside of Optus. <laughs> and once again, the West Coast slash Perth slash whatever the hell they want to be Eagles find a way to make old Brad look like a fool. So thanks a lot, West Coast. You continuously make me out to look like a fool but yeah the west coast eagles are the with a 22 point win against carlton at the at the, at the scg and this is a this is a good win for for west coast it's, it's not necessarily one that you want to hang your hat on because of the fact that Car that of the fact that carlton is just not in good form at all right now and it was a real disappointment for carlton especially going off of the performance they had against sydney which you and i both said we thought was a very good performance by carlton in that game against the swans um, and then this is a real opportunity that they could have used to take another big step forward in their, in their development. But Carlton just are in a complete shambles right now. And that's another one of the topics we'll talk about later, but yeah, West coast with a good win on the road. 
Oh man! In the final game of the week of the weekend, saw the Western Bulldogs knock off the Frio Dockers, ninety three sixty five. But man, this game was mired with the fact that in a two minute span, the Fremantle Dockers lose three key players all around the midfield as Fife, their uh, their their big ruck Tracy and Cox all go down within the span of a minute and a half. Uh, I love the headline on the AFL app, Purple Pain. Yeah, this, this, it's a real shame for, for Frio because, I mean, we've seen them playing at their best against our Swans, and when they're on, they can really cause problems. And then when they're plagued by injuries like they have been for a lot of the season, there's just not a whole lot that they're able to do right. And it's not easy when you have to run into the Western Bulldogs to compound all of that. So the Dogs are able to get a good win, 28-point win on the road at Optus Stadium. And the dogs are just trying to keep pace right now with the demons right now in the table. They're just sitting four points behind them. And Frio just falling a little bit further back in the ladder. Yeah, that's this one was hard to watch there towards the end. But in some situations, the, the Frio Dockers, until those injuries, were, were staying with the doggies, which was rather impressive. You, you got to give Frio a little bit of credit there. But unfortunately, those injuries just absolutely hit at the worst possible time. And that will end the roundup from round 12. And sir, the off-field stuff has just been absolutely lighting Where up. Where do we want to start? Phones. Let's let, well, let's go with probably the biggest surprise. And that's Collingwood is now going to be looking for a new head coach as Nathan Buckley last night slash this morning, or actually morning yesterday, last night here, decides he's going to step down as head coach of the Collingwood Footy Club, effective immediately at following the Queen's birthday game this Monday against the Melbourne Demons. Yeah, this is this is something that I think we all saw coming. I, I didn't think that I don't think that any of us saw Bucks getting through um getting past this season and getting offered a new contract. I thought that I thought that as long as well as a lot of other people that he would be able to at least be able to see through this season. But I think that it just goes to show that the, the state that the Collingwood footy club is in right now, they are in dire need of full change right now, because this is not the Collingwood that, that people thought was going to be able to possibly contend for a final spot this year at the start of the season. I'll, I'll throw my hand up. I literally, I had them seventh or eighth or whatever. I had them in my, in my preseason preview. And they have just been on a complete ride on a ride on a train from hell. I mean, from the fire sale of Trelor, Stevenson, Phillips, Basinovalagi, and all those other players during the trade window for very little return, to the release of the Do Better report, to the shambolic handling of said report by former now former president Eddie McGuire, to his firing, to now looking for a new full-time president to now looking for a new head footy coach. And it's going to be very interesting seeing how they go about looking for a new coach. Uh, I've, I've just seen, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, Donnie, but Ross Lyon is, has said that he will be very up for a discussion if they contact him about possibly taking the job. And it'll be really interesting to see how they go about the rest of the season. Will they take somebody from within the club to try and go forward as, as just like an assistant going into an interim role like we see a lot in in uh, soccer or whatever or will they go and hire an outsider to just get him through the season and then potentially what the plan is going to be moving forward because I think that the members of the Collingwood Footy Club and the greater football community are going to be 
asking a lot of questions about the, the state of the Collingwood Footy Club going forward and how it's all going to look starting in 2022. And it's going to be very strange seeing the remainder of this season and how they choose to get through the, the last bit of this season. I mean, they're not going to be playing finals. So it's going to be interesting seeing how they get through the remainder of this season and then what it looks like going forward. Uh, and, and, and to compound it, they also have issues off field with the board. Um, yeah. They, they put on a couple new board members and we now have a new challenger for the presidency and he wants the board, he wants four members of the board to step down and none of the board members want to step down. And then there was drama over one of the board members being a recent member has been a member for less than a year, which according to some club members say that that she can't do that. She has to be a board. She has to be a club member for over a year. There's been a lot of drama. sounds like there's going to be an emergency critical meet, an emergency meeting being called. So all sorts of just absolute insanity are happening at the Collingwood footy club. So I kind of expected bucks to not be there as well as you. I was not expecting him to go home as early as he is and that's halfway through the season but we will have to see i know they have a caretaker coach one of the assistant coaches will take over so i don't think there's going to be a new coach come in so i think they'll probably ride this one out through the rest of the season but it's going to be a long year or so for this collingwood footy club because this last summer all the way up till now and all the way up until next summer are going to be (laughs) some rocky rocky roads and then to not only add to that, we also have some drama at the old rivals team of Collingwood, and that's Carlton, because immediately following the debacle of the loss against the West Coast Eagles, they decided to hire and then change their mind about a review, because their first year was supposed to be an external review. Now there's talks it's going to be an internal review, so we really don't know. So there's going to be a review of the club. And for many people, it's an entire review of the entire footy operations. Many people have said it's not specifically on David Teague, but I agree with some. David Teague may still have an issue with this review because not only is the team not progressing, but there's serious, serious questions on their list management with so many high caliber players coming in on big money that have just not worked out. Yeah, this is this is one of those things where kind of like what we've been talking about with Collingwood and then in sorts like what we've been talking about Hawthorne all season about just what on earth is going on, how are they going to go about this, and what is the end goal here? I mean, I, I don't think that anyone within the Carlton Footy Club knows what's going on, and I don't think that anybody outside the club knows what's going on either. And it looks like the, the steps that they're taking of, of trying to do this whole review, both either external review or internal review, I mean, it's just adding to the confusion. And, and I really feel for the players because there's no way that you can, you can see all of this stuff happening inside and outside the club. And there's no way that you can truly play your best football and best organized football to your highest level with all of this stuff going on. And I really feel for guys like Patty Cripps, Sam Walsh, and all the guys that they've been bringing in on big money, like you said, like Eddie Betts coming in uh, back in 2020 and then the other players they've been able to bring in. I feel really bad for them because that they had a stable operations department and they had a solid idea of 
how they want the team to play and how they want the team to look and all this sort of stuff. I think that Carlton would be a finals contender, and I think that they'd be a very, very good team right now. But just with everything that's going on, I mean, I, I really don't think that there's any way for the team to be able to move forward unless they figure out what they need to do and how they're going to go about this. And I think that it's really a shame because there, there's a lot of potential in that Carlton list. And yeah. it's just that there's just nothing they can do right now. There's just so much talent, but they've just, they've, they've thrown money at people and they have taken it and, and it's, it's been absolutely ridiculous. And the worst part is, is that it could cost them Harry Mackay at the pace it's going that if, if they can get Crips signed, it's how much is Harry Mackay going to ask for? And then you've got Sam Walsh coming up next season. So this, this Carlton footy club is just, they've been through so much. And unfortunately the pain just keeps continuing. Unfortunately, Oh man, I, it's going to be a long 12 months for the old blue. So the old rivals of Collingwood, Collingwood and Carlton are, are, are each um, having their fun, shall we say. So the big mighty clubs of Victoria are not doing so well. So we will jump from that well, off the off-field stuff and back onto the field. we got to do our tips for round 13. We did have a game move up, so there will actually be seven games to tip in this round instead of six due to the West Coast Eagles-Richmond game being moved up early. So next round, we will only have five games to tip. So this will be a quite an interesting round here. Let's jump into it. Tomorrow morning for us sees Port Adelaide hosting the Geelong Cats at the Port Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval. Who do you have winning this one? This is a tough one because Patty Dangerfield is back into the side for Geelong. Orazio Fantasia is out for Port Adelaide. So this is such a tough one to call because you got the home field advantage for Port but you got the additional superstars in Geelong and whether or not he's going to be in or if he's going to be on form. I'm going to go with, I give you another little piece of information that may help you out too. Another statistic that I've seen is Brad Scott's last eight games coming off of bias. He's Owen eight as of the Geelong footy club coach. Yeah, that, that, that was another one that I had seen. Um, This is just a tough one to call. You know, you know what, Donnie, Screw your stats. Let's go Geelong here. I, I really, <laughs> I, I really just, I really like the way that they're structured up the middle with Dangerfield, Cameron, and Hawkins going forward, Rowan and Dollhouse in the forward line. Yes, I know it's at the Adelaide Oval, and yes, I know I'm probably going to get this one wrong and end up looking like a fool. But for content, you know, just let let's go for it. I, I I'm going to go with Geelong here. It's a tipping competition. You got to have a little fun. And, and I actually don't mind it because this was one that I, I, I waffled back and forth on. I'm going to go Port Adelaide only because for me, the weak rest is really good for injuries, but the weak rest can also cause rust. It can cause issues. And with an older team, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to get yourself warmed up and back into the mode of play. Port Adelaide is a little younger team. Yes, they are at home. You also have to look at the fact that Geelong is having to go through mandatory lockdown because they're in Victoria due to the South Australian government health protocols that they are enforcing so this would be quite an interesting little thing on how warm-ups will be for this Geelong team I'm gonna go port on this only because that statistic scares me because coach Scott for some weird reason cannot coach after a bye I don't know what it is 
port is at home. You have, you have the isolation issues that you're going to have. You're going to have the travel, which is also going to be fun being a night game as well. I'm going to go port on this one, but I think this one's close. I think this one could be an absolute dandy for Thursday night slash morning for us footy so we move from there to the friday night footy game i know i'll be up i'm not sure about you but i will be up at the just in time for the first bounce of this game as the sydney swans host the hawthorne hawks at the scg friday night slash morning footy for us do the swans get the get the victories they so desperately need before the bye or do the hawks find a way to nip the swans going into their bye if this was the Hawthorne of old, that was the, the vaunted team that, that Clarko was leading for the last decade, I would be more inclined to pick Hawthorne here. But I think the form that the Swans are on, um, they had a tough loss against Frio. But prior to that, they were able to get the job done against Collingwood. They got tough, gritty wins over Carlton and St. Kilda. I'm going to go the Swans here. I, I think that it's one that they definitely need to be weary of. Because like, like we've said for the last couple of games, it's just like you can't take any of these teams that are quote-unquote lower tier, you can't take them easily. So you cannot go easy on this Hawthorne team. We, we've seen them slip up against Gold Coast. We saw, we've seen them slip up before. So they need to be on their, on their game, but I think that the Swans are going to be able to get it done. Yeah, and this is, this is another one of those games where he's just how do they start? The, the swans are, are are if the swans can keep from that slow start and get a nice start and get if they can frustrate hawthorne i think this could be a big game but this is always a game that's tough clarkson loves coaching against john john longmire so this will be an absolute cracker i agree with you i think the swans pull this one out let's jump out to optus stadium as the oft injured and wounded frio dockers take on a gold coast suns team coming off a bye and thankfully, his almighty potentially is back as Matt Rowell sounds like he will be in uniform for this game against the Frio Dockers. And even before we got the, even before I found out about the Rowell news, I was going to tip Frio just because of the fact those injuries for Frio in this last game were absolutely devastating. You lose Fife, you lose Tracy, and you lose Cox all in a half. Plus, you potentially could lose Griffin Logue as well. I'm going to go the young upstarts. I'm going to go with the Suns in this one. Yes, it's an Optus Stadium. I'm going to pull a U. I may look like a fool for picking this one because Rio's so good at home, but I'm going to go with the Suns on this one. Well, I said for the, for the case of content on the first pick, and uh, I'll go ahead and do that same thing. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and go with the safer, quote-unquote, pick here in Fremantle. Uh, those injuries are going to be tough to overcome, like you said, but I, I think that because of the fact that they're playing at Optus, that Gold Coast is traveling from the opposite side of the country. Yes, they might be able to get Matt Rowell back. How well is he going to do? That's the big question. Will he make it through the game? That, that's another one. I would hate to see Rowell get hurt again, but it's going to be a good thing to be able to see him back out on the field again. But I, I think that Frio is going to be just a little bit too good. I think this is going to come down to the final quarter. I think it's going to be a close one, but I'm going to go Fremantle here. All right, we'll jump back to Queensland, up to Kansas at Kazali Stadium as St. Kilda hosting the Adelaide Crows. St. Kilda is almost as bad as Frio, down to their bare bones as two of their main stars, Membry and I think it's Long, are both going back to Victoria due to uh, the births of children. So they will be out. So the Adelaide Crows for St. Kilda, who do we have winning this one? I'm going to go with St. Kilda. I think that 
they they got a really better performance against the Swans that they were able to kind of build on. And I think that if they're able to get their goal kicking a little bit straighter, I think that they're going to be in for a good good showing against Adelaide. I think that Adelaide is, is going to be coming off of the lows of losing to Collingwood at home. So I'm going to go with St. Kilda getting off the shot. I think I'm going to give them just a little bit of an edge in this one. See, for me, I'm going to go Adelaide. I think really the reason Adelaide lost that game is that that second quarter, they were absolutely wayward, kicking on goal. Tex Walker was 2-6 for the entire game. I think the Crows, Matty Nix kicks him in the rear end, gets him going. I think the Crows go up to Kazali, and they have a field day with a with a – undermanned and absolutely torched St. Kilda team. That's just, they're coming off so many bad, bad performances that I think it's going to catch up to them. I think the Crows pull this one out. We jump from Queensland down to Tassie and Tasmania as the North Melbourne Roos host the GWS Giants. For me, sir, the Giants are just too solid, and the fact that they potentially could get Toby Green, Matt DeBoer, and Phil Davis all back for this game, I just think they have just a little too much ability for this undermanned Ruse team that's still got one of the biggest injury lists in the entire competition. Yeah, I'm going to go with you on this one. I was very tempted to go with North Melbourne just to see if we can get a little bit of an upset here. But I, I do think that GWS is just a little bit too strong. They've got a little bit more quality. And like you said, the injury list for North Melbourne is just disastrous for them. So I think that GWS gets it done. All right. And it, it's hard to argue that this is not the, the, the game of the round as the West Coast slash Perth slash we still are trying to figure out West Coast Eagles host the mighty Richmond Tigers at Optus Stadium. Okay. Here we go, Brad. Does the West Coast make us look like fools? Or does Richmond find a way to uh, to knock off the Eagles on Optus soil? I'm going to go with the Tigers because I'm done picking with the West Coast Eagles, the West Coast <laughs> slash Perth slash whatever we want to call them, Eagles. So uh, I'm going to go with the defending premiers. I'm going to go Richmond here. Because I'm sick of getting made a fool of by West Coast. Even though now that I've said that, that means West Coast will win. So you know who to pick here now, Donnie. I, actually, I'm with you on this one. I, that Richmond performance has got me terrified as any kind of fan from any kind of team that isn't Richmond. Because this is that performance against Essendon was the Richmond team that by far, in a way, is is the best team in the entire competition if they get going. So I'm going to go Richmond on this. I think some of the injuries will affect West Coast. The midfield is going to be very interesting. I'm very, very intrigued to see does Marbio Chol play Ruck or does Toby Nankervis come back for the Tigers because I'd be very interested to see Marbio Chol and Nick Nanui in the Ruck battle because I think that would be an absolutely awesome Site. Let's jump to it. Last game of the day. Queen's birthday game. The big freeze game. Bucks's last game. I mean, so many different titles that you could name to this one as the Melbourne Demons host the Collingwood Magpies. I mean, I, I'm not even going to hold back. Um, Bucks, um, you might have picked the worst possible game to decide to retire on because you may be going out on a game where your your boys, your beloved Collingwood Magpies might not play very well. Yeah, I'm I'm not looking forward to this from from just a perspective of being 
a fan of Nathan Buckley. I mean, I, I've enjoyed watching him over the, the course of me becoming a footy fan and kind of getting to know the history of the game, the history of Collingwood and, and all that stuff. I think that Nathan Buckley has just been an, a great ambassador for Collingwood Football Club over the years. Yes, there have been shake, uh, questionable moments over the last couple of years in the last nine months or so. Um, I think that it's going to be it's going to be a sad sight to see him leave for the last time. Um, and unfortunately, I think he's going to get a, a solid butt kicking by the Melbourne Demons, who just look like the that they're completely the best team in the AFL right now. I think they're going to get a very handy win uh, game played at the SCG. So I think that I think Melbourne will get the win. Um, it's going to be a sad farewell to Nathan Buckley. Yeah, unfortunately, that is the case. And we have come to it, sir, our favorite point of the podcast every single week, and that is Brad's crazy stat of the week. Brad, what do you got for me this week? All right, well, we're heading back up north to the provincial cap or to one of the biggest cities in Canada into the province of Quebec. We're going to the Montreal Canadiens here, and we've talked about them all playoffs long. And the, I'm going to throw something really crazy out for you. There have been three instances in the histories of the NHL, MLB, NBA, and NFL where a team has gone seven-plus straight playoff games without trailing in either a single season or spanning several seasons. All three of them, including this 2021, this, this 2021 season, all of them were from the Montreal Canadiens. The other two being seven consecutive, spanning from 1953 to 1954, and 10 straight from 1959 to 1961. So this is a historic run that the Montreal Canadiens are on. And if they can strike it right in the series against either Colorado or Vegas, they might be in line for a potential matchup in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, that's that's absolutely insane. Another absolutely amazing stat for you there, sir. And I think we have come to the end of our podcast and seeing it is probably a perfect time because I think the OU softball game is about ready to get started. So I am we are going to cut it off today. Thank you again so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Brad and I thank you so much. Brad, any any last thoughts? Yeah, definitely go on to Donnie's Twitter and get into the Euro fantasy football group that we have set up. It's going to be a very fun little, little thing to set up and run throughout the tournament. So go to his Twitter, follow the link and put the code in and you'll be put into our group and you can enter into any other group that you want to definitely take a look and see what you want to do with that. Sign up, get involved. It's going to be fun. And then, like we said, Stanley Cup's getting in. Euros are going to be starting up on Friday. Softball tonight. We got a whole lot of stuff to watch both to tonight and throughout the rest of the weekend to the weekend. So it's going to be fun. Donnie, it's been a pleasure chatting like always. Cannot wait. You have yourself a wonderful weekend, sir. We will see you next week. And ladies and gentlemen, that has been another episode of Coach Hess's Sports Corner, and we will see you again next week.